A quick correction before we get started. In the episode, we discuss the origins of large pipon barrels coming from Saint-Supery in France. The correction is that, in fact, Saint-Supery is from Napa. That's all. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Drew, Drewdifer. What's up, buddy? Well, I, I think um, I think I'm finally figuring out your method of mayhem when it There's comes no to, to to intros. Like, no, but I think like, based on our conversation earlier, because you're like you're like, hey, I'm really excited about this week's guest because this person has shaped my career in more ways than possibly anybody else. And I just was like, I was like, yeah, I'm also excited. Not for that reason, but just excited to talk to this person. But um, we're going to get to that in a second. We got a fun show ahead of us. We're going to talk about Pinterest and building brands via social medias. Um, We're going to talk about Scotland banning cheap alcohol, which is just a mind blowing story that I cannot believe that this, we haven't talked about this before. I guess it predates the podcast when it first started, but had it been a thing when we first, you know, or we were we were a thing when it first started, we would have been losing our minds about it. And I think people are going to to do the same thing, but um, it's going to be interesting. And I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this. Um, I thought now we're <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I'll I, give them to you, buddy. I I sure I sure hope so. So I know I've already said it, but tonight's guest is pretty pretty important to Christopher. That's a that's and, a goddamn fact. And I've only had the pleasure of hanging out with this person a couple times over the years, but each time has been just so much fun and so educational. And she brings just so much knowledge to this industry and so much enthusiasm. And then there's also like one of those, um, what do you call them? Oh yeah. Those super mom type people who just like seem to have it all figured out or at least that's what they portray um our guest tonight is the director of advocacy for el tequilino she is yes that uh as i said also a super mom she is owning us in terms of location to broadcast from because she's actually at the distillery right now with a bunch of awesome tequila barrels behind her our guest Gina Castillo. Gina, welcome. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. What an intro. I feel like I hope I don't let you guys down. No, no, no. Like I said, you're kicking off a few weeks of, um, you know, kind of like the female movement for the Good Bottle Podcast. We're really excited about it because we know how important you are to this industry and how you important are to our careers, but really how important you are just to booze in general. So um, why don't you tell us what you're sipping on? And then for our listeners who maybe aren't as infatuated yet, a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Well, right now I am sipping on it. I had to be tequila because I'm at the distillery. And the tequila I'm drinking right now is called Sassanac Adlet um, by El Tequileño. 
And this is our newest bottle with El Tequileño. Uh, First of all, I love the packaging. I love that black color with the gold lettering. And I know it's very controversial, but there is a celebrity that is attached to this brand. (laughs) But it's a collaboration, which is very different. So it still has El Tequileño's name. And it's a collaboration with an actor called Sam Hewen. And he is like a spirits enthusiast. He has like a very great knowledge of whiskeys and he's Scottish. And he wanted to make a tequila because he sees a lot of similarities between like Mexico and Scotland and just the like love of the people and the passion for good spirits. He came down trying to make a tequila. He visited all these different distilleries. And is Sam Hewen from, from uh, uh, Outlander? Outlander? The guy who's naked half no. of the show. Oh, <laughs> man, ladies. Not that it's she's, not that she's El, watched El or paused that episode or anything during those. Like, I know I do, but, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody else. Oh, yeah. I, well, you know, when I first met him, I hadn't seen the show. And then I, that's probably a good thing because then I would have been – very uh, <laughs> <laughs> so okay so he's so he's going around he's trying to find a way to because he's already so he has his whiskey going and he was doing to, to my knowledge um very limited releases of his whiskey so it was becoming very popular because you just couldn't get your hands on it um but then he decided to step into Mexican spirits. And so now pick up where you just left off. So he's looking for places. He's not finding anything that he likes. Yeah, He, you know, he came to us first and, you know, he had heard about the brand and he came to us and he visited the distillery and he loved it. So right away, he's like, let's make a tequila. You know, can you guys make a tequila for us? And Tequileño is a brand that's been around since 1959, but we've never made tequila for anybody else. We've only ever only made our own brand. So we said, you know, we're so flattered, you know, thank you for visiting but we're just not interested, but you guys should go check out these other places. So he went and checked out other distilleries and then came back and said, like, let's make this work. You know, can we have both of our names on there? Can we make this work? Because I really didn't like anything else that I tried. And I, I like, you know, the brand, I like the story. And he really hit it off with our master distiller, Tony. So it was, they, they made it work. So now you, you led that off by saying it's a kind of a controversial thing, which any of our listeners to this podcast are going to know how both Chris and I feel about celebrity tequilas and stuff. Now it, like you said, it's important to distinguish. This was more of a collaboration and your guys's name is still very prominent on the bottle. It is the bottle of, of your tequila. So it's not like he just came in, slapped his name all over it, but for you being, you know, this advocate for agave over your entire career, like, was there, was there times where you're kind of like, you know, tell this guy to kick rocks. Like, I don't (laughs) care how many times to take his shirt off on his show, like get out of here. Like, or, or what was that process like for you? I mean, because to me also, like, it's very controversial because a lot of celebrities that are in, you know, in the tequila game right now, they Mm -hmm. don't know spirits right? and they don't know quality. And it's, you know, it's just a way for them to, you know, get even richer than they already are. And they don't really have like the love for the spirit or for the country or for spirits in general. So I think this was like a really big difference. So it was never like a point where it's just like, hey, what is this guy doing? Because he just is a genuine person. Mm -hmm. And and I just felt like he, you know, trying his whiskey. The day that he came to um, Tequileño for the very first time was the day that his whiskey launched. And I was able to try and I was like, wow, you know, he actually knows what he's doing because a lot of celebrity brands, they just buy the juice 
and you know that's it. They put their name on it, and they sell tons because their name is on it, but it's not anything quality. So I think that's like the big difference. And uh, if it were us just making something with his name on it, then I would be completely against it. But I think it also helps us amplify to just new consumers. Well, totally. that's a really yeah, interesting me- point because you know Techalenio only launched in the United States. What like? Three years ago, four years ago? Yeah, about four years ago. It just launched. You know, it's a brand that has a lot of history, a lot of heritage. There's over 2,500 brands of tequila, but only like about 10 of them have their own distillery that they make their own tequila. All the other tequilas are mostly, you know, you make 100 different tequilas in one location um, and it's just contract brands. So we are like a genuine brand and, you know, we've only been around for four years and there's just so much competition in the U.S. You know, it's the biggest market. But you also have to spend so much to get the awareness. And, you know, this this made sense for us at the time. And, you know, I, it's won a lot of awards. It's won, um, you know, double gold at the Master's Award. And it's won, you know, tons of awards where it, it was just not because it was a celebrity. It was because the juice is actually good. So right. can you tell us a little bit about what this one tastes like? I've had the entire lineup. Where does it where does it sit? anywhere in there. So it's also a reposado. I, I, you know, I say it's also reposado because we have eight tequilas in the lineup and five of them are reposados. <laughs> so we have a lot of reposados, but they're all just, one right here. Oh, I love that one. I love yeah. the tequila reposado. That's the, uh, that's a three month age reposado. And it's, that's like a very basic everyday. And that bottle that you just showed me, I feel is the bottle that like a Mexican actor like Pedro Infante was like drinking when he's drinking out of the bottle in those old movies. So I, that's just like a classic. Is that, Drew, is that the bottle that I brought back from you from Mexico? It is. And it so is. That's, that bottle came from the distillery. Fantastic. Where Gina's sitting right now. <laughs> you got it's like I'm almost there. Through. It's like I'm almost there. That's what it feels like. You know. <laughs> actually, I will. I've, I actually, I have been waiting to, to open this because, you know, it's only... It's only, well, I guess it's 500 milliliter, which is a pretty decent size, but I've been waiting for the right situation. And I guess there's not any better situation than this right now. So um, I'm, I'm going to open this. I'm going to do that. Uh, you keep talking about about the brand and all the fun things and how, how this flavor profile matches up with the rest of these. So usually with tequila, you age in barrels and small barrels. Tequileño has aged in, you know, historically in pipones. A pipon is like a large format barrel. So we have barrels that are anywhere between 5,000 to 25,000 liters. So the liquid to wood content isn't contact is not as, you know, as much as if you would be in a smaller barrel. So -hmm. that already lets a lot of the agave come through because when you age a smaller vessel, you're going to get more wood. The only... The only um, tequilas that have sizing restrictions on on the barrel are añejo and extra añejo. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, to be an añejo or an extra añejo has to be in a barrel that's six hundred liters or smaller, any type of wood. To be a reposado or a blanco, you could put them in any type of barrel, any size barrel. So this is two years in an American oak barrel, and then it's finished off in four months in a barrel from Saint Supri, which is a winery. So it's been finished in uh, barrels for four months. It, we call it a double wood reposado because it's two different types of wood, American oak and French oak. And the way it sits in the profile, it's just really easy to drink and really elegant 
and really well balanced, and the nose matches with the taste profile. It's, it's just really delicious. Where is uh, where Saint Supreme? It, it was first. I'm sorry. In uh, where's it's in France? What what part of France? Do you know or? I do not know. Oh, it's okay. Right, I, I was just curious. Give me a second. All right. It, uh, I'm assuming a red wine. I'm sorry. It's actually a white wine. Oh, cool. All right. Look at this. We're getting to the bottom of it. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it's I was just really, a really wondering. Um, yeah, it's a very beautiful <laughs> tequila. And a tequila that I don't like añejos that much or extra añejos. I think they. I find them too sweet. And I find them, you know, when you're going to drink like an after dinner drink, I'll have an añejo or have an extra añejo, but it's just like a nightcap and that's it. When I'm going to drink, you know, just, you know, for a night out, then I'll go with a Blanco or a Reposado. Um, and this one just is right in between because it has kind of the beginnings of an añejo, but it's still like I could drink many of them without like just being over. Um, there's a word in Spanish, que te empalagas. I've not found a translation, but it's when you've just had too much of something. You're like, I can't have any more. Um, and, and I think that this is just a tequila that it just can have lots of, and it's delicious. That's my favorite kind of tequila. Yeah, that's uh, uh, agreed. So no, there's there's one other brand or one other mark that in your guys' lineup that that I love, and I don't feel like enough people will talk about it. In fact, when young Christopher went down to Mexico for the very first time to visit you guys, he didn't even nice know this was young. a thing. Uh, yeah, I know. I got to throw one out to you every once in a while. But you guys also do a mixto. And it doesn't suck. It's actually really good. It's affordable. So it's great for cocktails. And again, you're taking something that is generally an unpopular thing and actually making it awesome. So can you talk a little bit about a mixto and like what it is, maybe why it has a negative background and then why yours guys is is so much better? <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> When I first started, because, you know, I've been in this industry for about 18 years working, you know, with other brands of tequila. And when I was first brought on to Tequileño and they told me that it had a mixto, I was like, no, you can't. Like the U.S. Mm -hmm. is never going to go for a mixto. It has to be 100 percent agave because that's kind of what I've been preaching for like the last 15 years. I said, you can't do this. And then I tasted it. And then I was like, well you know, actually this is much better than a lot of hundred percent agave tequilas that are cheaply made. So my mind just was blown because I had been such a like snob towards tequilas that weren't hundred percent agave. Like I can't drink them. And when I actually gave it a try, I was like, wait a minute, you know, there's something to this. Uh, it, it was also in a blind taste test with tequila matchmaker and with tequila matchmaker, they were experts, you know, tasting this tequila. They tried it. Um, well, it was a blind taste test. So it was seven different tequilas and 35 people tried seven different tequilas. They all thought they were all hundred percent agave and it came out number two in the, huh. in the ranking. So everybody was also blown away. They're like, wait a minute, how, you know, we're experts. Like, how are we giving this number two? And these other hundred percent agave tequilas came in afterwards. So it is controversial, but I think like what makes it the difference is that to be a Blanco tequila, you have to be at least, I mean, to be a mixto tequila, you have to be at least 51% blue agave, and then the other 49% could be other sugars. And that's what 
the industry uses as a you know, as a whole. Mm-hmm. We um, or at Tequileño, they have seventy percent agave, and then the other thirty percent is something called piloncillo, and also some cane sugar. So the percentage of agave that comes in the blanco is a lot higher, and also we use piloncillo, and piloncillo is a sugar that's not been refined so it's like cones like hard brown cones of, of sugar it's which, really grassy um, it's grassy sugar mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's got this you know um like you mentioned i'm in the town of tequila right now and tequileño blanco is the tequila of this town you know that's what people have been drinking and this entire town is filled with distilleries and it's filled with distilleries that you know people work at but they still go home and they drink tequileño blanco um, so that, you know, says something because it's just a tequila that has like been consistent in, in their flavor since, you know, 1959 when they launched it and they never changed the recipe. It's just always been, you know, 70% agave and then the other 30% piloncillo and sugarcane. Uh, I have to, yeah. I have to chime in here. I have to uh, correct. I have to add a footnote to the story that you said, Drew, about me not knowing uh, that, that the Blanco existed. And the reason I have to do this is because Gina's husband actually was the one that tasted, tasted or offered me a taste of it. And, um, uh, when he came to visit me at good bottle and, and, uh, I turned him down. Cause I was like, why am I going to taste that? That's let's only taste the real stuff. I don't want to taste that. And so I didn't realize that the Blanco versus the Platino was, was the mixto versus the 100% agave. And so when I went down there and I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah. And now I'm a dick because, like, you know, <laughs> Stefan's going to be like, oh, man, this guy is real snobby. <laughs> Just make sure that I he mean, knows that you're the one that taught me almost everything I know about agave. So that way, at least he, like, he can put that off on you. <laughs> Yeah, but at that time, I was just snobby as you. I mean, we lived in Northern California, and Northern California only drank 100% agave, and I felt like California was the most educated market. You know, I, I in my career, I moved around from city to city, so I lived in Chicago, I lived in San Francisco, I lived in Los Angeles, Miami, and New York, and I think, like, Northern California, people really care about what they put in their bodies, and they want to have, you know... Uh, quality spirits more so not not to like shame on the other cities but as a whole i think that people are more educated because it's in that wine region and you know people have been drinking wine for a long time and they know about wine so i think that they also care about what spirits they drink yeah so a little bit snobby but i was snobby too chris and we've been since <laughs> cool well, I think there's, yeah i mean i think the this the, the point of this conversation and also you know because again like all we've done for the past you know what 100 episodes is rail against celebrity agave and here we are like talking about it like it's not the worst thing in the world now we haven't had it because it is a very hard tequila to get your hands on um because of uh the influence right which is awesome for you guys but you can get the mixto and i and i actually buy the the mixto pretty routinely and tell people to go out and buy the mixto because it we, is we actually carry it, awesome. it on on a pretty regular basis at, at good bottle now too because um, of me. It's true. Because it's be- I told it's because you. because of you. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, I was going like, to say dude, it's partially because in. of you. More importantly, it's because of the batangas that I drank while I was in tequila. Yeah. Yeah. And having that makes it poured down my throat. I had earlier, Chris. They still taste delicious. That's fucking great. I, we're going to serve batangas at, uh, at, 
at Bodega, and we're gonna serve you, them. Yeah, with, tell me about the. And new we're gonna serve them with steak knives, uh, so that way people can can stir them. They're probably honestly gonna be for, butter for knives. For our listeners, but... <laughs> so you know what that is? It's it's tequila and coke. Is is what that is? Yeah, um, with lime so... juice, stirred with the knife that you cut the lime with, because for some reason that's that's the necessary garnish to the drink. It's just yeah, it's it's like. And that. do you guys know the story of why it's called a batanga or no the bar that it's from? No, please tell us. So there's a bar called La Capilla, and La Capilla uh, translates into the chapel because they joke that you go in standing, but you come out on your knees because you drink all these batangas. That holds but up. But the owner was a man named Don Javier, and Don Javier was just loved by the entire industry. He had this little bar that's been voted in the top world's 50 best bars three years in a row. Um, and he, the bar started because a lot of the people like the master distillers or the people that worked in production, they would hang out there, you know, every other week. And it would be like just a bunch of people that work for different brands and they would go there. One guy would pay for the music one week. Another person would pay for the food, but what they drank were always the patangas. And, you know, that's how bartenders started figuring out that that's where like all the master distillers were and that's where the like, people in production were. So they started going and that's how it came on the radar. And, and, uh, and Don Javier was just a person that loved like hospitality. He was like mm-hmm. the king of hospitality. Uh, and he was just really loved in this industry. He passed away in 2020. He was 96 years old and Ooh. he was the creator of the Batanga. The Batanga the reason it got its name is because a group of friends came to La Capilla once and he told one of the friends, cause he was running out of glassware, go to the market, buy me some highball glasses. The guy comes back. He's like, Oh, they didn't have any highball glasses, but they had these batangas. And he shows them a glass that was short and fat or stout. And everybody starts laughing because they have a friend in common that they call it batangas because he's short and fat. <laughs> um, and then the drink that he made out and the reason that he got that nickname is because a batanga in the Philippines is a canoe that's short and wide. So they've been calling his friend batangas for a long time um, because he was short, fat, and he was always in the water, saying he was all, always a little drunk. So uh, he made that cocktail. It was it's a salt rim glass, fill it up with ice, um, do key limes, which is really important because if you do other types of limes, it doesn't taste the same. Um, tequileño mm. blanco and they say a generous pour and a generous pour is probably like three ounces on a good day sometimes they might be more uh, mexican coca-cola and then you cut it or you stir it with a knife and, and that knife was the knife that he used you know to cut limes all day and you know to cut anything on there so it was just like it gave it that extra little flavor and ever since then that's just been the the drink and uh, el tequileño blanco has been the tequila of the house for decades and it continues to be so. So it's a it's pretty cool because it's like this is the birthplace of tequila, and people love batangas. They love going to La Capilla, and uh, if they make it with any other tequila, it just doesn't taste the same. That's so if rad. You, if I love you that. are lucky enough to go to uh, La Capilla on a night where I go to La Capilla, you might end up on a brand sponsored or a brand uh, brand run uh, Instagram page because I've stolen Gina's. Gina's phone and taking a picture. Oh my god, you did! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't didn't realize that I posted it to the to the brand page. <laughs> okay, so let's 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 rewind this a little bit. Now, you had mentioned that you've been in the industry for like eighteen years, and um, you used to work for one of the you know 
biggest tequilas in the world in Don Julio and did a lot of advocacy for that over the years. Lots of cool competitions and educations and things like that. What was it about, you know, the tequiliano that where you're like, you're like, I need to work for these people. Like, this is where I want to be. Like, what was, what, what led up to that? You know, I uh, had taken two years off. Um, you mentioned that I was a super mom. So that two years off was just taking them to museums and libraries and, you know, like still loving the tequila world, but just saying, you know, this is maybe going to start a new chapter of my life. I had a friend that was hired with uh, El Tequileño, a, a friend that had worked also in the tequila industry with me for a long time. His name is Kevin. And he um, asked me to taste the tequila because he's like, you know, I know that I like, we like similar things. So just taste this tequila. I taste it. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? This is really amazing. Like, this is really delicious. And then he's like, great, because you're going to help me in this project. You know, I've just been hired and I need some um, help. So I started working for them as just, you know, like a month project. So we could put like a marketing plan together and a sales plan together. And uh, I, they flew me down to Mexico. I met the team. And then I, you know, I still was thinking it was just going to be a contract thing. But then they also loved me. And then they said, hey, you have to come work for us. And I said, no, you know, I can't right now. I'm just, I'm being a mom. So the only thing I would be able to do is part-time. They said, we don't hire anybody part-time. I said, well, that's okay. I'll just, you know, find something else to do. And then 10 minutes later, they're like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> and so I was, hired and I was part-time for a long time, but it wasn't really part-time because, you know, it's a passion. And when I came back and I, I flew back, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And it just had this permanent smile on my face because I, I didn't realize how much I missed the industry. Mm. And this, you know, this is a brand of integrity. I love that they don't make any other tequilas for anybody else. I love that, you know, just meeting Tony and meeting just the family and that it was somebody like or a company that has integrity that doesn't use any additives because, you know, that's a topic that is also right now really hot, like, you know, people didn't know that you could put tequila uh, additives in tequila and it's legal right. for you to add, you know, um, we just had a training actually with a tequila matchmaker with Grover and Scarlett. They came over to the distillery because uh, we hired a new team of people that are going to work in the U S for us. And to me, it was really important because when I first what started, the hell? The where, where was those signed up sheets? <laughs> Chris, we yeah, missed we... the boat. God <laughs> damn it. Okay. Well, next we're, time. We're still growing, so there might be new opportunities. When I was first hired, I, I started working for Jose Cuervo and I, you know, I'm Mexican. I knew that Cuervo was, you know, a big brand, but I wasn't like a tequila lover. And that first year that I worked for them, I felt like I was like the biggest liar of like, you know, the year that I started 2005, just because they taught us things that, you know, about their brand, but not as an industry as a whole. So now that we're hiring new people, I want them to know like just everything about it. And so that's why to me, it was important that they had this training for these people from Tequila Matchmaker so that they could learn about additives. They um, taught me that there's 67 pages of additives that can be added to a tequila, like Jesus 67 Christ. pages of different things that can be added. Is that um, double like spaced? Because that's what I do when I write reports. <laughs> <laughs> And it's uh, not, it's not, it's not all, not all that stuff goes in because it's a percentage, right? It's like, it is it one or right. 2% of additives? It's 1% can, of additives 1%. that could be added to a tequila, but they brought examples of additives. 
And they're so potent that we were able to make our own additive tequila. So they brought like a neutral spirit. And then we brought like there was toothpicks. So you just would use a couple of drops of, you know, uh, vanilla or caramel mm -hmm. extract or oak extract. Or there's some that were labeled agave extract. And you would think they taste like agave but they were, or smell like agave, but they were completely different. Um, we had to put the uh, additives in another room because otherwise it would just like mess up our sense of smell because they're so, so, so potent. Um, right. And you know, most of the industry uses additives. There's only like a few on the list that don't. And um, so again, to go answer your question of why Tequileño, because, you know, they're additive free because they do things right, because there's integrity and because I just love tequila. Yeah, I, I think it. the I think the time that the last time that I saw you was actually in SAC and um you were pouring at the tequilaino table at a southern at a southern like spirit show that I was able to infiltrate. Um and I think that was when we I think that was when we we figured out that you were you had come out of retirement because like Chris lost his mind. He's like, what are you doing here? You're like, I'm back. And we're like, Oh my God. Like it was, um, it was, it was really awesome. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to these additives, cause I, cause I do find that to be the case more often than not, it's like people have no idea. So I do tequila tastings all over the United States. Um, I work for this company in addition to what I do for JVS, but like they, I just, I come in, I do an hour presentation and then I get out. Like it's, it's really awesome. But that's always like one of the things that blows people's minds, right? And, you know, for for better or worse, like most of the time, the things that we're tasting tend to have additives in them. Um, I didn't realize that it was that many. Uh, and then, but the thing that, I think the thing that that jumps out at them as well is like, you know, you're, you're talking about it's only 1%, right? But how does that scale up? I mean, did did Grover and Scarlett talk at all about like what that can actually equal out to when it comes to like them do is is it I mean, are they just sitting in tanks and they dump the additives in? Like how does that work? Because like I know the one percent, like I know that this stuff obviously greatly influences whether it's color or this or that. I mean, are there additives that add color and flavor? Or like if you could get a little bit more into that and just like how misleading this stuff can be even if even if it is only one percent right well one of the um other things that i learned is that a lot of the people that are using additives are using diffusers and they're also using column stills so the alcohol percentage is way higher you know when you use a pot still your alcohol levels come out to like 50 55 but when you use a column still like they had pictures of because they're allowed to visit distilleries so they had pictures of like different distilleries where it said like they had samples of bottles and it had like the proof on it it was like 86.5 or you know like you can't get that from right. from a pot still so they uh so a lot of the people that are using diffusers are also using younger agaves and when you're using a diffuser and when you're using a column still, the spirit comes up pretty much neutral. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the agave forward that you're looking for in a tequila. So then that's why you have to use the use of additives. Um, and tequilas or agave is at an all-time high right now. It's, you know, 30 pesos a kilo. Say 10 years ago, it was like a peso a kilo. So like the prices have really skyrocketed and all these big brands, you know, they have to use a diffuser. They have to use these three-year-old agaves. And they put them in right before um, you have to dilute the, the dilute the 
before bottling, you have to bring down to, you know, proof. So right. if it's at 86, you're going to dilute it. And then that's the point where the additives are also used. Okay. So with the, with the diffuser, just so for our, for our listeners, like what is a diffuser? How does that compare to maybe what you guys do? Cause I mean, I, obviously Chris and I know what it is, but for our listeners, what's, what's a diffuser? How does that compare to to I, the, I also love being able to say that. Like, clearly, we know what it is, but for everyone else, can you, well, can you, you know, explain yeah, that? I know. know, I know, I know what it is. But by all <laughs> means, explain it to the plebes. And sometimes when you say that, it almost looks like he actually doesn't know what it means. <laughs> He's just saying that. I like, know yeah. that you guys know what it means. <laughs> it's like, what are we default to the expert? And Drew, you do this, you know, on a, a timely basis. So I'll believe you. So for the listeners, there's three different methods that you can. Uh, cook or, you know, turn the inulin in an agave plant into sugars. So one of the ways in the most artisanal way is to use an adobe clay oven. So it's an oven, you, you know, stack it up and you, you know, that process takes anywhere between 24 to 48, maybe 72 hours for that process. The other method that is also kind of traditional, but it's not artisanal, like the adobe clay oven would be using an autoclave. In an autoclave, you can use uh, the cycle is about 24 hours. The cooking is time is less, but, you know, you have to load it, you have to cook it, and then you have to let the steam or the pressure release. So it's about a 24-hour process. And then a diffuser is just a continuous method of feeding this big machine agave plants. So it, you know, cuts, it, it cuts them into little pieces, and then you inject steam. But also with that injection of steam, sometimes you can inject uh, chemicals into it to switch, to make that conversion of inulins into sugars. Um, and then after that, it's continuous. So it's always, always, always going. One of the tequila brands, the one that, you know, is very proud of their efficiency of making tequila is Sousa. Um, Sousa is a couple blocks from where I'm at. And it doesn't matter what time of day you walk by they're always producing and you can see the diffuser because they always have their doors open and you can see the diffuser and you can see the bagasso. The bagasso are the fibers of the agave that are left over after the process. And you could see how it's like almost white. Like they've squeezed every single like inch of any type of moisture. It's like sawdust. Mm -hmm. um, and when you visit, you know, distilleries that use an, a tahona or us that we use a roller mill, like, you know, there's still like some color in that bagasso. There's still something in it. And they're, they're just so efficient because they use like the, the use of chemicals and, and, and injected steam into the process of a diffuser. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, to, to build off of the, the roller mill thing, um, I know Chris and I embrace innovation and we want people to, you know, however you want to produce your, your tequila, mezcal, whatever agave based distillate. Like, I think you should have the freedom to do that and not be told to do otherwise. But, um, there are people who feel differently and who look at it kind of like, like, Oh, well, if you're using a roller mill, it's like, you know, you're using machinery and it's not as like you, I mean, it's not an artisanal thing, but it's like, it's, Oh, it's not as, it's not as good as using a Tahona and stuff. And I just wonder, I mean, I've, I've had people be like, Oh no, we want to use Tahona because it gives it a different taste profile, especially if you work for Patron, that seems to be the gist. And then, um, and then also, you, I mean, I've talked to my friends at places like Caballito Sorero who talk about how, you know, the Tahona is for white people to look at on distillery tours. Like that's what <laughs> it's for. Um, what do you think about, you know, about just like that commentary, the difference between a Tahona and a roller mill? 
Well, I mean, I guess there is two different methods of looking at, you know, one is like very romantic and you're using a tahona and, you know, it could be uh, pulled around by mules. And now, you know, a lot of people are using tractors, but that's like a romance part of it. But you're wasting a lot of, you know, sugar or like the agave juice that could be used into turning into tequila because it's not as efficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, So right now with the agave price being so high, I think, you know, if you're a business person, you want to be efficient, but you don't want to be, I mean, you don't want to waste product. You don't want to throw money away. Mm-hmm. So I, I love like the romance of it, but business wise and the price of agave right now, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Why, why is that? Why do you think, mill, why do you think that the roller mill will, um, you know, extract hold, more as opposed to, as opposed to Tana? I mean, we know that it does. You can, you know, measure the juice quality that come, you know, volume that comes out of it. But what, why do you think that, you know, Tahona has a certain, apart from like the pure visuals of it, that the, the romanticism that's engaged with seeing that Tahona stone that's just rolling around. I mean, it's a giant fucking stone, so that's really cool. But, you know, like you go over to Fortaleza and, uh, and they're not using, you know, they, they have it uh, mechanized, right? So they, they've got they've got gears on it, so it just rolls around and around and around. And that's what they're sticking with, and that's dope. That's you know beautiful and fantastic. But what what do you think that it is that separates those two? You know, is there is there a flavor difference or or does it is it simply just volume? It's to me, it's more volume than it is anything else. I mean, and maybe we can argue that it's not because if Cascaween. So I, I love that tequila as well. And Casca Ween has a lot of different methods and they have a lot of different, you know, they, they also make tequilas for other people. But even in their Casca Ween label, some of them are in a Tahona wheel. Some of them are roller mill. Some of them are blend of both. And when you taste them next to each other, you know, there is an obvious difference mm-hmm. um, between the flavors. So I think it does. I, you know, all tequilas use the same ingredients. They're all yeast, uh, agave, and water. But the process matters, and the process does affect the flavor in every part. But I think where it least affects it is in the, um, in the, ro- in the pressing of the juices. Like whether you use a roller mill or a tahona, I think it slightly varies, but I don't think it's such a big difference. In the fermentation, you know, the type of yeast you use, that really affects things. The way you distill really affects things where your agaves are coming from, how mature they are, that really affects the final flavor. But I think in all the steps of the process, the pressing is, I think, the one that least, the one that least uh, affects the flavor. To me, it's more like, you know, you're wasting available sugars. And you can test, like, how much, like, you get more liquid, but also with the bagasso that's left over, you can test it for how many sugars are still remaining. And, um, and when you use a tahona, there's still um, something that you can use and turn it into tequila. Interesting. I totally agree. And see, this is why you're my patron saint of agave. Because um, <laughs> I look at it the same way. Well, you know, and another thing you were talking about is, you know, kind of like this push and pull between this romanticizing of of um, spirits. And, and actually last week when we had, uh, you know, Jeffrey Morgenthaler on, he put it as fetishizing spirits, which I thought was so on point, right? And definitely a way that people look at it. And I think that in particular, 
a lot of American consumers and especially enthusiasts look at it from, you know, even even to a point where it's kind of like, it's like oh, well, there there's so much artists that we can't mess with any of this stuff. And and one of the things that you've, you've said a couple of times is like, you know, business decision, business decision. And I think that's where we fall short as enthusiasts is that we don't realize that these are business decisions and that really at the end of the day, yes, these master distillers, these, you know, these farmers, all these people, like they are artists to a certain degree, but they're also entrepreneurs, you know? And if I think if we shifted our mindset towards that, where people would be, you know, not that anyone's, you know, burning down the distillery because you're using a roller mill, but there's definitely that snooty attitude that sometimes people have towards it. Right. When you're kind of like, no, this is more efficient. Like, is that something that despite having this really rich history, because at some point you guys had to make the change, right? Like I, I would assume that there wasn't a roller mill being used in 1959 or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know when they started, but, um, no, um, I, you know, I don't know when they started, but all of the steps in the process were all the ones that Don Jorge had. Like mm-hmm. nothing has been changed there. So in a way, I, I can understand what you're saying because where do you stop? Like how efficient do you want to be? Then do you want to be Sousa because it's super efficient and it's all about business. But there is a balance. You totally. know, where where do you find that balance? And, you know, that's why there's so many different brands of tequila. Mm-hmm. And that's why, to me, tequila production is like choose your own adventure. You know, where is the agave going to come from? How are you going to cook it? Are you going to use additives? Are you going to ferment naturally? Are you going to ferment with like um, yeast that you commercial yeast? So it is sort of choose your own adventure and and trying to find that balance. So I don't think I don't ever want to work for a brand that only thinks about money. But I also mm-hmm. want to keep my job and I want to be paid. So I don't want to work for a brand. <laughs> that's either. You know, there's got two kids. <laughs> got to keep them alive. Yeah. Yeah, not all museums are free. I get it. You know, we gotta gotta get them in there. Uh, Chris, do you have any more questions, Virginia? Before we move on to the stories, now let's go. All right. Well, now it's time for our opinions on facts that we have learned from reputable sources. Okay, so in our first story, we're going to talk about Pinterest and how they've been courting alcohol brands. Now, over the past couple of years, uh, a lot of social media platforms have put restrictions on alcohol. And for obvious reasons, they don't want alcohol to be influencing people who are underage and potentially leading to negative outcomes. Uh, So with that being said, Pinterest was one of the first original social medias to embrace uh, alcohol brands and more importantly, like alcohol brands actually spending money and advertising on their website with targeted ads. Uh, so that is one thing to point out. You can now do it with Instagram. We do it with the podcast. You know, you have to, you have to hit that 21 plus button basically. Um, over the past two years, there's been a surge in at home bartending and then, uh, and actually the phrase simple cocktail recipe has increased 84% over, over the last two and a half years. So obviously people are looking for something similar. Uh, I think we have some cocktails we've already talked about today that are pretty similar, uh, but they're doing complete takeovers. For example, Jameson took over the color orange for a campaign where if you typed in the word orange at all, you would get the Jameson orange as one of your results. It didn't matter what you were looking for. If it had orange in your search, you were going to see that, which by the way, one of the worst whiskeys of all time. Good Lord. I can't <laughs> believe how bad it is. Like well, there it goes is our per no sh- money. Damn yeah, it. <laughs> it is. Oh, they'll be fine. It is shocking. Um, now, 
they are still working on methods in order to be able to really measure and monetize uh, Pinterest as a location for brand marketing. But most marketers from the spirits brand side have looked at it as more of like the top of the funnel. So they just cast this wide net. They're getting a lot of people in and then hopefully funnel them towards conversions. Um, I wanted to talk about this one because not necessarily because I need to know all the inner workings of Pinterest. I really don't. But the overall theme and Gina, what you've had to do over the past couple of years is being this brand advocate for this established brand in Mexico, but relatively new brand to the US. Like, what is it like to have to advertise a known entity to an unknown market? And what do you see as effective? And maybe we can focus more on the social media aspect of it because we kind of have the Pinterest umbrella, but just kind of like what it's been like that for the tequila so far. So I'm not a social media expert by any means, but I do find that we have to reach out and we have to find a way to educate people. So if it is on Pinterest, I love that, you know, once you post something, you can always search for it. It's a little bit more static, you know, with Instagram, you always continually have to feed it. So I like that part of it. And, you know, as a brand and, and, and just as a human, you know, we're all here for a good time. So any way that you could educate people on how to, uh, entertain at home. And if you're going to, you know, post, uh, like a recipe that people are going to be able to search for, you know, I'm all for that. Uh, because it is difficult. I, I think a lot of people are intimidated by tequila and a lot of people think that the only way you can consume tequila is in a shot. And I love that, you know, with Pinterest, which we've not used till now, but after this podcast, we're definitely talking to our social media team. Influencers. Hey, <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and with Pinterest too, I feel that it's, you know, less expensive than all the other social media platforms, but it is really uh, the age of people that using Pinterest you know, because it is one of the first original social media platforms, like it's going to have a bigger range of people that are using Pinterest and are are going to find amazing ways to make make a recipe. Well, so so with that said, and like exploring these new mediums and things like that, I mean, as you've pointed out in the first part of, of tonight's episode, it's like, you know, you guys have this really rich history and you have these really cool things and you're doing things, you know, that maybe typically to the enthusiast would be frowned upon but like you found cool ways to do stuff like how are you able to communicate this stuff like you know for your brand in particular like what have you seen has been effective like how do you convey all that stuff via pinterest posts or via an instagram post i mean i know you said you're not an expert but like you know you guys are obviously throwing things against the wall like what do you see as being successful for a brand like yours again all about education um and in that whole thing that we were just talking about additives and things like that, I see that being, a, a, you know, doing some cool videos. Like, did you know that your tequila has this in it? And, and, mm-hmm. you know, like drink additive free tequilas and this is a great way to drink them. Like make this recipe. Um, I, I think that that would be a, a great way to use um, Pinterest. And I, I am trying to think of the uh, word we should purchase, like orange. I don't know what we should purchase for, for tequila. For people to <laughs> You guys have any suggestions? Well, we know you can't use clean because we covered that That's last right, week. That's right. You can't use clean. Uh, you're not allowed to use clean because uh, oh. that that would imply that this is like a healthy product. And at the end of the day, we're merchants of death selling booze. So we can't be doing that. <laughs> Got it. Um, okay. Crossing that off the list. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, you go you, with like tradition. Kinda... Tradition might be one, you know, like or traditional, you know, could be something because people will search for that. One of the one of the sort of most eye opening moments for me when I started like diving into social media um, advertising and whatnot and, and talking to people I know who do a surprisingly good job i like the sound of that poor drew that was that was beautiful thank you for that i did it for you babe i did it for you uh was that they explained to me that pinterest is less of social media and more of a visual um search engine and if you think about it in terms of like a visual search engine that then allows you to move into you know like we're saying that top of the funnel sort of aspect that then shoots you into your specific category that, that refines down more specifically what you're looking for. Pinterest does that exceptionally well. And more than anything, it does it exceptionally well for women because women seem to understand Pinterest a lot better than anybody else uh, and spend a lot more time on it, um, which I, th- I think is fascinating, right? Like you can, as a company, you can specifically speak to women with money who are specifically looking for cocktails and whatnot and really reach out to a, a very identified demographic pretty quickly and pretty easily. Okay. Well, let me, let me put this out to you, Jay, because we're trying to figure out like the, what's the best way to, you know, to advertise your tequila. And I guess maybe the thing that we've kind of, we've kind of glossed over a little bit is Why? why should people care about additives being in their tequila and the fact that yours doesn't? Because I think, I mean, I feel like we've talked about it and, and again, there's, you know, there's like the value add and you feel like you're actually tasting what it should, should taste like. But I, I think from your perspective, you know, bridging that gap, because obviously there's, there's all these buzzwords that exist within, within marketing and stuff like that. But I think the, like the goal of it is like, Hey, we're going to educate people but why are we educating people? Why does it matter that you guys don't use tequila or you guys don't use additives versus other people that do? Well, I think as a society, we're eating cleaner. I know we can't use that word, but we're, <laughs> we care about what we're putting in our body. So we care, you know, like that's why kale like has gone up so much, you know, like people are, are, mm-hmm. are caring about what they're eating and they're care, they care about, you know, the environment a lot more, you know, we, we are just so much more aware uh-huh. that what we do right now affects us and are in the generations to come. So I think that the reason why using additives in tequila is, is not looked favorably upon once people know about it is because you're putting something in your body that's not naturally there. Mm. And I feel that People really want to eat better, want to drink better, want to just be healthier. And when you're putting things that are artificially made into your spirit, then that's what's going to give you the hangover. That's what's going to give you the headache. That's when it, what's going to give tequila the bad name. But it's right. not so much the actual product. It's what's being added into it. So I think once people find that out, then people are going to be like, hey, I don't want to put chemicals in my body. I don't want to put things that are not naturally made. Um, cause I, I feel especially in, you know, the West coast of the United States, you know, that whole movement is happening. And I think the more people are educated, the more it's going to just spread and people are going to drink better. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about like 
67 pages worth of additives listed out like that's bananas you know that you could have that stuff i mean i know that i talk about that a lot with like wine production too is that i think the number is like 132 different additives can be put into wine and with that that's not a percentage right like you can just load up uh, a wine full of all kinds of nonsense and you know which it often does result in like horrible 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 hangovers um no no part of that education you said like you guys have done videos and they were i know one of the things that you mentioned in the in the pre-question was like the youtube the youtube channel that you guys are doing um what's the content been like on that so far and the and the reaction to it yeah we're right now we're just trying to get our our story across so we're uh, we're trying to you know, we've, we've just switched over like from four years ago, like Tequileño has been a brand that's been around for, you know, 63 years now, mm-hmm. but for the last four years, we've done like a label change. We've made so we've transformed so that YouTube channel has been set up so that people can learn about our transformation and also learn about, you know, there's a, a few videos of, of, of Tony and myself just doing, okay, now we're tasting platinum. And these are the, you know, this is what you're smelling. And this is our production method. And, you know, this is the finish. So uh, we, we are just trying to elevate tequila so that it's not just something that you drink and have shots with and have a great time with. And it's a party brand, but also like just trying to get our history and our heritage known to, to more people. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like there's more um there's more of a conversation that takes place now via social media and marketing than maybe when you first got into the business? Because I know um you're obviously vulnerable to hacking from drunk friends and taking over your guys' Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but do you feel like there's a lot of like there's a lot of engagement that happens like via the Instagrams and Facebooks and things like that? Or how's how has that been for, for from the brand perspective? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's been doing so well that we've we've got two people on the team that handle it now. You know, we've got a person so that things like that don't happen to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you showed up to work the next day. They're like, "Okay, come over here, Miss Liability. Like, uh, we're gonna take that away from you. We're changing the password." And now, uh, I'll still find yeah, a way. Yeah, people are just so much more engaged. You know, people ask questions all the time whenever we post something. Um, people want to visit the distillery because people are posting photos about like being on a tour or we have a hotel called Casa Salles and it's Casa Salles is freaking beautiful. Distillery. Yeah. Tell us about it, Chris. You you enjoyed your stay here? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Like that, that <laughs> courtyard is insanely gorgeous with that pool and it's just amazing. And then if you're staying higher up and you can wake up to like the sun hitting the, the hills with all the agave growing up there, pfft, shut up. <laughs> yeah so, so um, because people are posting a lot about that then everybody's like oh you know can is it available for weddings and like you know so there is a lot of engagement and also a lot of um you know a lot of responsibility on our end so that we can actually just educate and not just post to post but actually have content that's relevant we right now a lot of our content has been very mexico focused so this coming year what we want to do is you know, focus a little bit more on the U.S. because that's the market that we're trying to grow. We've also just launched in the U.K., uh, uh, Australia, Italy. So we're growing. So as we grow, we just have a bigger responsibility of posting content that will travel across countries because a lot of uh, 
we don't want to have, you know, like a, a page for Mexico and a page for UK and a page for the US and just make it all confusing. So yeah. it is a lot more responsibility, which is why, we're, you know, we have this team that, that is trying to create that content and create and, and do it responsibly. Right. Chris, how many countries are we in now for the podcast? 23. I just want to put that out there to you. If you need some, if you need an established podcast as brand advocates to help you reach the world, <laughs> we know a couple guys. And we got the data. It's 23 countries. We got the data to back it up. Um, okay. Congratulations. Hey, hey we're, we're, it's all right. we're still. We have, we're, we have that one one flight attendant who does an amazing job of, of listening. They every just travel around the world. Somewhere. Yeah, that's what they do. That's what it, it's it's one person. Um, they grab okay. people's phones and that's say, it. hey, let me type something in for you. That's all I do. That's you all have I do. them at bars, like just going to people's random people's phones and, and downloading so, your podcast. <laughs> subscribe and leave in five star reviews. That's what we do. Um, <laughs> that's how that's how it works every single time. Uh, okay, I think we've talked enough about Pinterest and social media. <laughs> all right, so our next article is about the ban on cheap alcohol that has cost the people of Scotland 270 million euros over the past four years of being implemented. Uh, minimum unit pricing has cost some consumers up over 200 uh, million more than was originally projected when it was instilled four years ago. Uh, initially, it was put in to uh, combat alcohol harm with the thought process that if there is less cheap alcohol, People would actually make better decisions and things like that. turns out that's not the case and it's politicians hitting poor people. That's so weird that politicians would hurt those type of people. Um, It was supposed to limit alcohol-related crime as well. Guess what? It did not. So um, one of the things that was was also highlighted in this was just the difference between it's like, hey, I, I can no longer just go out and get a quick pop. You know, something that was 25 cents is now 45 cents. Uh, you know, Gina, one of the things that you talked about was, you know, something like the mix dough that you guys have is something that's consumed all over town. Right. And part of the reason it's consumed over town is not only because it's, you know, the traditional drink, but also because it's affordable and you can kind of be like, yeah, I'm going to throw this with some Coke and some lime and we're going to call it a day. Um, in looking at this, do you, I just feel like things like this only encourage organized crime. You know, anytime you're banning any type of alcohol, but I don't know, like maybe I'm talking out of turn here. Jenny, what do you think? Like when you read that, like, you know, are you just kind of like, like these guys, again, these guys are messing it up. What do you, what do you do to think of this article and the content? Well, I just think that sometimes people make decisions without actually doing the research because I, you know, when it's the article says that they thought it was going to save lives, it was going to save money, it was going to save, you know, uh, people just drinking better and none of that happened. So I think if they wanted to spend money, they should have spent it on maybe like just different programs for people to like stop drinking, perhaps. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that sometimes people just throw something out without actually doing the research and, you know, they screwed up. Yeah. And as my husband's a- from Scotland. So um, he's we'll not going back anytime soon. Say, hey, like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. So this is also, this is also, um, uh, a plan that was implemented in Ireland as well. This uh, this minimum unit with what minimum. results? 
uh, equally disastrous. Uh, Ireland's been doing it for less time than Scotland, but it is it is also not going well. And um, it was funny. They had a couple interviews with some Irishmen that were kind of like, you know, basically F these guys are not getting more of my money. <laughs> so they were <laughs> stocking up before the uh, the increase occurred. Um, you know, Chris, from a from a from a bottle shop owner's perspective, if like the government told you that you needed to basically raise your prices on everything um, to satisfy the minimum unit pricing, like what would that do to a business like yours if it was being dictated by the government more so than it already is because we are in California? Well, I the uh, regulations that happen on on my business um, in this land of the free that is America uh is actually very similar um in downtown sacramento i'm i'm very very heavily regulated in terms of like size of bottle that i can sell Uh, i'm Mm. not allowed to sell any spirit under 750 um because apparently drinking anything in less volume uh is disastrous for our community uh, I'm not allowed to sell beer in anything less than a, than uh, quantities of six, and uh, that is not not separated based on volume. So if I sell a keg, uh, that doesn't count. I have to sell six kegs. Uh, if I sell a can of beer, that doesn't count. I have to sell six cans of beer. There is no like uh, variance in size there uh, that they've figured out in terms of the law. They're very, very clever. Um, it, it's, it's pretty sad. It's, it, it, it's really based on tip of the iceberg aesthetics and, um, you know, community and cultural good. It's, it, it, it would fall under what I, I sometimes lovingly call toxic charity, which is like, I don't really care what the outcome is. I just want to look like I'm doing something good. Mm. Uh, and, and oftentimes uh, politics will, will end up here. We, we do it's know. Discri- like it's discrimination, isn't it? Like against. Yeah. It's that- instead of, instead of being a war on poverty, it's a war on the impoverished. It's, it's really like, Hey, you don't have enough money. We feel that you shouldn't be spending it on booze. Uh, everybody else is okay, though, but not you. You you should be spending you your money somewhere your else because you're right. You you don't get to like hang out and drink wine at your house after a hard day of work. Like you need to just go home and go to sleep. We don't we don't care about you, you know, and your mental health. Uh, yeah, and what and what they found was that people just found a way to get the you know just just to pay the difference and which is why like they originally like oh well you know um the scottish people will be out 76 million dollars like they'll pay that more over the next you know five years of this program and it turns out that they were off by 200 million dollars or euros which is just like even more (laughs) which is like how do you keep your job after that when you just botch that number so much it's like well well, Seamus, I don't know. I guess we, I guess we really botched that one. It's just kind of like, oh my god, like no, no kidding. Like, well, Chris, think, when you sent this to me, that was my response. I think there were basic assumptions placed in that model that they used because it, th- this information was backed by some some sort of like model trajectory based on data, 
uh, and the data was incorrect. You know, it it assumed that people wouldn't spend over a certain dollar amount on alcohol, and we do. We're humans. We need, you know, we are trained to, you know, to commune with our neighbors and our loved ones. You know, and and alcohol, for better or worse, is is part of that. It's food and booze, man. Like that's what that's what humans since the dawn of time have always found as comfort as we share it with the people that we love. And if it costs fifty dollars instead of twenty dollars, that's what it's gonna cost. And so it's just making the problem worse and not better, which is pretty fucking sad. And, and Chris, do you think? Sorry, I'm taking over your job right now, Drew, and questioning Chris on another question as a retailer. But do you think that you are losing sales because mm-hmm. you can't sell smaller? Like, is it hurting you as a retailer? Yeah, and it, it, it's not even from the people that that the politicians would assume that I was losing those sales from. It's really, it really comes from the the people that the the local politicians want to spend money, which are like hotel guests. It's your tourists. Right. The people who come to town in order to spend money, they're not going to buy a 750 of fucking booze. They're sitting. You're just coming for one night. Yeah. They're sitting in their hotel room, you know, like maybe they're done with, you know, they were able to go to a local bar, have a meeting with their colleagues that they were in town to meet or, you know, whatever convention that they were to do. But they're going back to their to their room for a nightcap. They're not buying a fucking 750. They'll buy a flask of something. It's up to me to like serve serve them something good and not not like just leech off of them but in, in a totally singular example uh there's a right aid or there used to be a right aid down the street from me from from our store because we're located in downtown sacramento that right aid sold uh uh 1.5 liter um handles of of booze for less than anything I sold in my store. Right. And that was more of an issue in terms of like social problems that hap- that affected the, the neighborhood than anything I could do. Even if I was just selling volumes of, of airplane bottles. Right. I mean, they were selling handles of Royal gate for like 10 bucks. Yeah. Royal gate brutal. for those who don't know Royal gates, like a, a vodka and gin based out of San Francisco. Sounds delicious at $10 for a liter and a half. Um, I think I'll pass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just so for from your perspective, Gina, like when it comes to pricing and things like that, like do you find um, that there's a price point that the tequila really works at and then one that it really struggles at when it comes to like getting into markets and things like that that you've observed over the last couple of years? Because I know I have that conversation with a lot of different retailers and stuff. It's like, it's like oh man, like once we, once we you know, cross the $40 price point, it becomes dead, like no man's land for like the next $30 and then it kicks back up again. Like, is there anything like that when it comes to getting into different states and different markets for you guys that you've noticed? Well, I've lately just focused more on the on the Mexico market and mm-hmm. on the Mexico market. We have like amazing prices in the U.S., but even more so here in Mexico. And with the Tequileño Blanco, which is the our mixto, 
I feel that people are very, very loyal to it. Like when I first started working on the brand, I said, what's our competition? If people can't find El Tequileño Blanco, what would they buy? And they looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, they'll just go to the next door. They'll find it. <laughs> um, you know, they love this brand. And slowly, you know, since I've been here, like I've lived here for two, here it being Mexico, I've lived in Guadalajara for about two years, two months. And we've done three price increases, which to me is just like, wait, why are we increasing the price again? But it also makes sense. You know, we, the agave cost continues to be high. Glass mm -hmm. was a shortage because of COVID. We've not mm -hmm. been able to catch up. So everything is slightly going up in price. But we found that people do love Tequileño Blanco and we've not seen a drop in sales. We've actually seen an increase in sales since we've raised the prices. Wow. Which uh, to me just talks about also the quality of the brand and that we were priced too low. So we've not reached that price where we've seen a drop in sales. Like we're still really uh, competitive with everything else that's on the market. So we've, we've not seen that. But I think that it it might not be that for all the brands. We have 63 years of history and it's here in Mexico. And in the U.S., uh, since I don't work that market, I'm not, I, yeah, I, I will not be educated to answer that question for the U.S. Sorry. <laughs> It's okay. We'll follow up in an Instagram post with all the answers from the U.S. representative. <laughs> we'll be like, how much are you willing to pay for a bottle? <laughs> all the me. money. All the money, especially if the Outlander guy is involved. I'm in. <laughs> Give it to me sooner than later. We have to send you guys a bottle. You have to try it. So I'll, 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 that will be my follow-up for you guys to send you guys each a bottle. Drew, you're in Seattle? No, I'm, a, I'm in Sacramento as well. But oh, you can Yeah, I just have a grizzly beard like I'm in Seattle. Um, <laughs> and speak of the of the northwest fondly um uh all right well i think uh i think we've all made our feelings pretty clear on this uh minimum unit pricing you know who's dope them over there Okay, so now it's time for my favorite section of the show, our Dope Follows. And this is where we're going to tell you who you should be checking out. Could be an Instagram account, Facebook group, other podcasts, hopefully in addition to ours, books, movies, cool people. Whatever the case may be, they got to be dope. So, Gina, kick us off. Who's your Dope Follow this week? I, when I lived in Los Angeles, I went to see somebody called Simon's, um, Simon Sinek. And I love his Instagram. Like, I love just he's inspiring he's like like a leader but like it, he sees it in a different way he's got books i've read his books as well so i really 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 love simon sinek and that has nothing to do with tequila or nothing to do with the booze industry but everything to do with like values and you know uh, he's got a book called like start with why so anytime you make any decision like start with why are you doing this and i really like find his stuff very very inspiring because like, it's about how you look at your life is kind of the outcome that you're going to have. So oh, yeah, I've seen this guy. This guy's awesome. Yeah, he's fantastic. If it's something tequila-related, then, you know, I love Tequila Matchmaker, just watching, you know, it, it, like all the educational things they do. And there's a, a girl, uh, somebody in the tequila industry here. Her name is, oh, Cultura Tequila, like Culture of Tequila. And she's really young. She's only 21. So she's uh, brand new in this industry, but like all of her 
she just knows what she's talking about. So I guess those were. Cultura, and I don't know those specifically. Yeah, cultura. Uh, cultura tequila. I had turned off my phone for this podcast, so I'm just turning it back on to just make sure <laughs> that's where we're going. Don't worry, we're going to find them. We're going to find all of it for you. Um, okay, yeah. So the so the Cultura Tequila Tequilaera and it's underscore after that. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's one. We're going to follow follow that, and then. Yeah, I like how obviously me and Simon are the same on the same page, like asking why. Why do we need to care about additives? So <laughs> I'm right there. I'm right there with him. Chris, who's your dope follow this week? Uh, mine, similar to Gina's, is not booze related, but uh, is related in that I've been building out, out a bar and been paying a lot of attention to design and interior architecture, which, of course, just leads you down the rabbit hole of exterior architecture. Um, I so I found this this amazing visually uh, stimulating page uh, or account called Archisource. It's uh, A R C H I Source. It's all about architecture, uh, lots of designs, lots of renderings, uh, real simulated blueprints. Um, really just inspiring and fun fun to look at and honestly as like someone who's not you know i have not dove very deep into that realm i learn a lot every time i like i read more on the post it's very cool i love it it's a good one um i i also went i also went outside of outside of the booze industry uh too because you know Obviously, this industry can be a lot. The last couple of years have been a lot. And so I find myself just like looking for some outlets here and there. And, um, you know, obviously I have a pretty extensive spirits book collection. I was like, well, I want to add to some different stuff. And when I was on a little mini getaway a couple of weeks ago, I was watching um, a Netflix special that was all about pirates. And I was enjoying the hell out of myself. Uh, and they had it was like a combination of like, you know, guys acting and then they had like experts come in and explain situations and stuff and so at one point this guy's talking i was like i really like what this guy has to say so i went ahead and bought his book and it's called the republic of pirates and it's and it's by uh colin woodard and um it's a really it's an interesting look at pirates and piracy because you know so much of what you kind of grow up knowing and looking at is you know, these swashbucklers and pretty terrible people. And it's actually like, Oh no, this is like early forms of democracy where like everybody's opinion mattered. And they were actually fighting against the patriarchy, which you're kind of like, Hey, that's kind of what's happening now. So we all just need to turn into pirates. So um, uh, on a, on a side note, have you, have you started watching uh, our flag means death? I actually, so I started it. I didn't really care for it. And then my brother uh, came in and was his usual judgmental self and was like, you need to watch the yeah, rest of it I, because it you, gets really good. So then I did over actually just this past weekend. Well, and then I told and, you that you needed to watch it because it's got our boy in it. Which, yeah, and that's right. It, the, with Taika, Taika Watiti is in it. And, um, and he plays Blackbeard. And boy, are you not expecting it to go the route that it goes with him as Blackbeard? So um, it's it's really good. So yes, for uh, for all of you pirate enthusiasts or just uh, social justice 
enthusiasts, you should check out this book because it's really, really interesting. Um, and it, it's basically told from like, it, it, it focuses on four like key figures of that time period. Three of them are pirates. And then, the, and one of them is the guy who basically ended piracy. So, um, so I haven't gotten to his section yet, but it's been really, really interesting so far. Who, but you know who's what? the author again? His name is Colin Woodard. So uh, C-O-L-I-N. Uh, and then Woodard is W-O-O-D-A-R-D. Um, the Republic of Pirates. And, you know, it's got a cool, like you guys can see the cover, but obviously nobody at home can see the cover. But you can imagine if you're in a public place reading this, people are gonna be like, whoa, that dude's metal, you know? So um, <laughs> that's also what I'm going for. Not that I can read with any noise going on around me, but if I did, that's what people would think. So uh, <laughs> But you know what, guys? Those are some those are some pretty dope follows. The Good Bottle Podcast is produced awkwardly by these two guys with music orchestrated by the Brothers Moore. That would be Leon and Chase. Chase is uh, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, if you know him, a uh, like Grammy Award winning uh, producer. So look at us. Getting, getting in on the ground level, baby. Can you, can you uh, tell, like, how we're just, like, we're, like, pitching the hell out of Gina right now. It's like, please let us be part of your tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Look how much we bring to the table. We have any well, produced music. 23 countries. 23! Right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Kill these bottles. I, I was actually, I didn't get to say, I, I've been drinking canned cocktails. I had two of them, and they're already dead. But I've got more at the shop. And if you would like to also drink the things that other people have been drinking, actually, uh... We've got them. Well, not Gina's, but uh, soon. Soon. Uh, it, soon she gets it to us. <laughs> uh, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. This commentary uh, receives like a four and a half. I get it. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or follow us, follow our personal accounts, Chris Sinflair or D Garrison 6 Gina, where can they find you on the social medias? My personal is agave underscore Gina and then L underscore Tequileno on our Instagram. Or if you want to visit Casa Sayas, we are at Casa Sayas Hotel. I like it. Do it. If, if Go you there. Ever visit tequila, you have this is where you have to stay. Yeah, agreed. I've had fr- I've had multiple friends uh who've stayed there many times go down there and then visit just because and without staying there and they're like we switched our reservation. <laughs> we, we did not want to stay where we were staying anymore. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get that good spot. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna read your part, Chris. If you'd like us to cover a story, or if you're with a brand that maybe wants to be featured again <laughs> on this very successful podcast, you can reach out to us at the Good Bottle Podcast at Gmail. And as Chris already pointed out, there is um, an option to go to thegoodbottleshop.com and buy some of these things that we've been sipping on. But until next time, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Gina Bina, I love your fucking face. 30 minutes, so I love It's your birthday? Oh my gosh. I feel... 24. I feel... (laughs) 24. I feel very (laughs) rude. You came to my birthday when I turned 40, and I'm not in Mexico with you on your birthday. I'm I'm very sorry. Give me another year and I'll figure it out. We'll have a private jet. We'll fly you guys out here. (laughs) This just gets better and better. Don't fucking tease me.
Hey, we you do that, and I'm going to send you that hack so you no longer have to pay for articles anymore. Deal? Seems like Love a win-win. Thank you. You're going to 